Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam. Hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. We click. With questions and participants from all around the world. Anthony Edwards! Put that on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slam and Jam. Back is, I missed this shot, I'll walk away, I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam on a Wednesday. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. We are here on a Wednesday because the NBA draft lottery happened Tuesday night. And I demanded that the Slam and Jam be the recap for the lottery. I just absolutely demanded it. And in hindsight, I'm really glad that I did. Because if you take a look at how the top five shook out, uh, number one, We have the Orlando Magic. Number two, the Oklahoma City Thunder jumped from four to two. Three is the Houston Rockets, who fell from number one. The Sacramento Kings, another big winner of the night, jumped up from seven to four. And Detroit fell down from three to five. That wraps up the top five of the lottery. We're going to talk to somebody from each of these five teams. We're actually going to start with the Thunder because we're selfish. And... I actually host a Thunder podcast called Down to Dunk and had a a lottery event tonight uh, for uh, Thunder fans and for Down to Dunk fans. So it's a huge boon for the Thunder. To me, they have to be the number one winner of this lottery, jumping up from four to two in what looks like a three or four player draft. This is massive for the Thunder rebuild. You know, they've been, this is their second draft of the rebuild. It's interesting because you look at the Thunder, and I think a lot of people automatically think, oh, they've been tanking for a really, really long time. And just to put some context to it, it hasn't been incredibly long. It's been 623 days since the Thunder have been in the playoffs. For the Spurs, it's been 1,117 days. For the Cavaliers, it's been 1,400 days. For the Hornets, it's been 2,200 days. The Sacramento Kings one is just hilarious. It's been almost 6,000 days since they've been in the playoffs. It just feels so sad. But you have teams like Orlando, Indiana, the Spurs, the Pistons, Cavs, Hornets, Kings. Those All those teams have been out of the playoffs longer than the Thunder. Yet somehow the Thunder feels like they've been doing it more than those teams. Now, some of those teams have made the play-in. I don't really count the play-in as the playoffs. You can deal with that however you'd like. But the facts are facts when it comes to the playoffs. And the Thunder get a chance to add a player to the mix that's going to help them significantly. And whether that's Chet Holmgren that that is available at two, or Jabari Smith, or Paolo Boncaro, think that one of those guys can help Thunder add a piece to the core and move forward. I personally think they should take Chet Holmgren at that spot if he's available. I think that he has the highest ceiling of all of these guys. 
Uh, we will get into that more as we get into this podcast. Matt Penny is also on the show today. And right now, I'm going to bring back my guy, Alex Spears, for his just triumphant return to the Slammin' Jam. Al, welcome back. What up? How you doing? And then now, I'm going to welcome in Tyler Parker from The Ringer just to tell us about some feelings, about some Thunder <laughs> feelings about yeah. this draft lottery. Tyler, thanks for joining. What's up, buddy? Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Just, you know, good vibes all around. What a night. <laughs> Several blue moons deep. And uh, yeah, feeling, uh, feeling, feeling well lubricated and ready to go. So... Hey, it's it's kind it, it's kind of sad, but honestly, when was the last time you felt this good about a thunder related? Oh my event? god, I was that's that's a good. I haven't I have, I did not consider that at all. That's a really good question. When is the last time I felt this? Pro- like that energy that we felt when we realized that we got a top four pick, and then that it was going to be top two. When was the last time you felt you had emotions like that about this? Twenty sixteen Western Conference Finals. That's what I'm, try, that's what I'm trying pre- to think. Like, do, pre-fall yeah like during one of the like inside a jet engine heaters whenever they're up like 25 on the warriors like maybe then i don't that's a good like man that's a when is the last time there were a couple of moments in that in uh that 20 in in the last paul george year that were fun but nothing yeah. like um I don't know. There's just there was just so much anticipation for this and it was and it, and it, and it kind of felt like one of those things it was like if we don't get a top five pick now, like, or it just feels like, is it going to happen? You know what I mean? Like, 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 what did we do? Yeah. Like (laughs) what were all, what were all the jokes for? They were well-deserved, but like, what were all the, like, you know, we had to withstand all these bits, right? Like I want something to show for the bits. And now we got, you know, (laughs) we got the, now we got the two pick. I mean, I, I, I'm, that, that's such a good question, Alex. Now I'm gonna I, like I know I'm not gonna come up with a good answer for it, but I will be like thinking about it for a few days now. When's well, I, th- I think that's an answer <laughs> enough. Yeah, yeah. The fact that you can't remember the last time you exactly. felt it, this way. It, it was. The, uh, I remember whenever like. Do you remember when you last year watching? And it might have just been. I don't know if it would have been preseason or or when it sort of hit me, but it was early when you were like, oh. Giddy's not a bust. Oh, thank God. Oh, he's pretty. Oh, he's pretty good. Oh, thank God, he doesn't suck. You're thank talking God. to Big you know Waz I mean? too much over there at the Ringer. What's going on? <laughs> no, I, I I forgot he said that. The uh, no, but the, like it was uh, that that was like a that was a different kind of that was more like sort of that was excitement, but also like relief. There was yeah. way more excitement than relief in this for whatever reason for me. But you know, yeah, I was yeah, I was. Stoked! I watched. Uh, I watched it with uh, our our two year old. She came in. She wanted to watch it with me. She came in literally as the, the, the it was going to commercial right before the top four picks, and so <laughs> it was one of those. Uh, the uh, I've traveled every road in this here land. You know, one of the one of the three commercials they're showing all the time during the broadcast, and she was like, "Daddy, what's that song? Who's that?" And <laughs> I said. And I was like, that's Johnny Cash. And she was like, oh, okay. And then next commercial comes on and it was like a, you know, for like Morongo, some casino out here and like on the way to Palm Springs. And she's like, daddy, what song is that? And I was like, oh, da- I don't know the songs for all the commercials that come on television. <laughs> I just knew that. 
I just knew that one. You're like, and that what, was for what? the rest of the. <laughs> and you're just like, what matters break. is that we've made it to the commercial break. And <laughs> so to set the scene for me tonight, I was in downtown Oklahoma City at a place called the Jones Assembly, and we packed in the 300 craziest Thunder fans. Into, was it 300 total? It was a. It was around that That's number. That's awesome. And everybody the energy you can go check it out um on my twitter page you can check out like the energy in that room was it was electric you know a lot of people say the energy is electric it really was i think we could have powered the city that you know tonight with what we had going on in there and it it means so much to this team now the thunder are in year this is draft number two of the rebuild yeah and it felt like we dodged a bullet a little bit by getting Josh Giddy at six. And then if this draft didn't go well, I feel like the Thunder are one of the teams that had a lot to lose if things didn't go well. Like if they're drafting Keegan Murray or AJ Griffin or somebody like that, you're not feeling so good about the rebuild. But if you get number two and you get any of any of the bigs, any any of Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith, Paul Boncaro, you're feeling good. And getting yeah. number two, there's just something that it, it makes you feel like the rebuild is worth it. And like this process that Sam Presti is taking the entire city fan base through uh, is actually worth it. I, I'm it watching the lottery tonight as it got closer to, you know, the end, I did start to think like, if it doesn't happen this year, it's not like Shea's going to get worse. It's not yeah. like Giddy's going to get worse. It's not like these, you know, like, like there, there's a, the, the, the contributors last season stand to see, you, you, you know, we, that, that, or that uh, that's the wrong way to say that, but they're, 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 they're all going to get better. They're all young enough. They're going to get better. You know, like um, Trey man's going to be better. Uh, or Terrence Mann, Trey Mann. Trey Mann will also be better, but Terrence Mann will be yeah. Or Trey Mann. No, I'm wrong. You I was got it right. Man, you got it right. Jesus yeah. Christ. It's late. <laughs> it's late. Blue moons. Um, no, but it felt like it was It was one of those things I just – you get worried that, like, is Shea just going to make us a little bit too good to be able to get a proper blue chip dude that, you know, is – I was looking at – since 99, 2000, I looked at all the um, first team all NBA selections. That's like, you know, a total of like 110 slots, right? 31 guys have been all NBA first team since 99, 2000, 31 dudes. And of those guys, 17 of them were top five picks. Hmm. Like seven of them, I think, were top 10 four more were top 15 and then it goes to the three dudes that were second round picks it's like Jokic, DeAndre Jordan and Marcus Gasol during those years where they had to have a center and everyone was just like okay I guess we got to do it with DJ yeah. and looking at that I was just sort of like when you see it in front of you how important it is to to get like a not just like a cream of the crop guy but a cream of the cream of the crop guy like it makes such a big difference the Thunder got some luck tonight, and yeah. with the lottery, you that's what it is. Like when you break it all down, you do everything you can all season to 
lose games, to make sure that development is like your priority and whatever else you have to do to talk yourself into this 14% chance or whatever it is. And like we, you do tankathon spins like, well, the, the probability of this, the probability, the probability <laughs> doesn't really matter because yeah. it's one time. It's one time. They don't do the average. Well, the average of this many spins, like, no, right. it's once. Yeah. And for the teams that ended up at the top, it feels worth it for a team like Detroit who fell or, you know, the, the Pacers or the Blazers who fell. It doesn't, it doesn't feel so good today. And, you know, that's part of why the NBA does this. Like they don't want teams to feel good about the losing that they just did. Um, but for the Thunder, feels good today. Uh, <laughs> Tyler, thanks so much for coming on the show. We can follow your work on the ringer.com. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Dude, y'all, thanks for having me. Sorry to come in so high. I'll, I'll chill out now. With us now, it's Josh Robbins of The Athletic. Josh, you cover the Wizards, but you're also just our resident magic guy. And the magic drew the number one pick tonight in the NBA draft. And I just I just have to know your thoughts. Like, What was your initial reaction when you heard the Magic got the number one pick? My initial reaction was, we now know what the city of Orlando's big problem was all those years. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking at him. <laughs> Getting rid of you. That's right. I, I gave, I, everything around me turns south. <laughs> what I thought was, what I really thought, I, that was not what I first thought at all. I was preoccupied with where the Wizards were, um, but fascinated by where the magic ended up. Uh, what I thought was is that finally, after spending nine out of the last 12 years or so, or 10 years, um, the ping pong balls finally went the magic's way. And... Uh, it also they also happen to go the Magic's way in a year where there's not necessarily a number one overall superstar. Yeah. Now, can they turn Jabari Smith or Chet Holmgren or Paolo ben, uh, Benchero into a superstar? Oh, three of us are going to find out. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, what are your thoughts on who they might select at number one, and like maybe give me like a fit reason for that? The intriguing thing is, is that they got a ton of forwards already. They got a ton of front court people already. Yeah. Wendell, Carter Jr., Franz Wagner, Jonathan Isaac, uh, Mo Bamba, who scheduled to hit free agency. Uh, even Ball Ball is on the roster now. Uh, sure. Chumo Kiki. All right. So, but they have to just get the best player. And they're what they're going to have to weigh is the apparent extreme upside of Chet Holmgren and the fact that with no one, I'm not trying to be snarky. He's a beanpole right now. And how many years can yeah. Orlando wait for him to develop? And is his body as thin as he is, as com though competitive, is he, is he, uh, is his predilection to injury? Can he, will he be injured along the lines of Jonathan Isaac? I suspect, and look, they haven't even sat down with him, either of those two guys yet, that they'll go with Jabari Smith uh, because he's got, he's, he also has significant upside. He's a, viewed as a two-way player. And physically, he doesn't need to develop the way that 
I envision Chet Holmgren needing to develop. You mentioned uh, that they finally moved up. I saw the, the a tweet from Orlando Pinstripe Post that said the last time the Magic made a jump from their projected draft slot in the lottery was 1993. So it had been a while mm-hmm. for them to get some luck and actually like improve on where they were going into the draft. That's interesting. I'd have to... Pretty exciting. Uh, um, I'd have to confirm that figure. I forget exactly. Oh, you don't believe it. <laughs> You're questioning it. Would you like me to look it up right now? It would make for some great audio. <laughs> I got, I'm right on my computer. Obviously, Dwight so Howard been- won the Dwight Howard lottery, and I forget. You know, I, I'm out of Orlando now for four months. I forget where they were. <laughs> so what can I tell you? Um so what, what do you think this says about – you mentioned that front court rotation. Like them getting – moving this high up in the draft, in a draft where it does seem like there are these three big guys, do you think this kind of shuts the door on Mo Bamba coming back to this team? Is that kind of done now? Or do you think there's still a chance he could be back with the Magic next season? Well, there's still a chance. But I also think it was down to Mo Bamba and Bull Bull. As difficult as that may seem to believe – uh, and I'm not trying to be facetious, although it came off that way. Um, look, Mo Bamba has had a lot of injury issues over his first or uh, over his first three years. He's not hit his upside. He's uh, he's a topsy turvy player. Even now that he's been healthy, um, they faced a choice with him even before tonight. Even before tonight. So. Um, Yes, I, I agree with my colleague, my esteemed colleague, John Hollinger, that tonight's result makes it less likely that Mo Bamba returns in free agency. I, but I wouldn't shut the door on that yet. I wouldn't shut that door yet. I still think if in the right situation, Mo Bamba still has some potential that's left untapped. And then looking at Isaac, is the expectation that Jonathan Isaac will be ready at the start of the season? That is their expectation, but I would have to say, given J.I.'s recent, well, almost career-long spate of of terrible luck, that it's more of a hope than an expectation. It's both. Mm. It's it's both at the same time. And whatever Orlando does, they have to draft. They don't have – the last person they need to worry about is Jonathan Isaac, Okay. Uh, if they feel like the best player available is a power forward and Jabari Smith or, or Paolo, you go get him without regard to Jonathan Isaac. And then if Jonathan Isaac can stay healthy, that's a bonus. It's a bonus. I mean, you suddenly have one of the most high potential defensive players in the league. But uh, right now, J.I.'s future is almost the least of their concerns. They got to just pick the top pick regardless of thinking of who else is on the roster fit. Yeah. You mentioned Jabari, and it seems like a lot, almost all of the initial mock drafts that came out had Jabari going to Orlando. You brought up Chet. There's the images of Chet and Jalen Suggs, who used to play together Mm -hmm. um, back before college. What about Paolo, though? Because you look at the Magic roster, like they were the second worst offense last year. It seems like a team that has struggled to score why wouldn't you go with Paolo Bencaro, the, the most talented offensive player, it seems, in the draft? A guy who can score from everywhere. Why Why was he not the obvious choice? Why is everyone going with Jabari in this case? What do we know? 
I mean, really, what do we know? They haven't even conducted these interviews with these guys. They haven't even received their medicals. If they do receive all the medicals, I know that there's some tremendous experts out there with these mock drafts. I really do. But it's all crapshoot right now, especially. Yeah. Um, there's nothing wrong with, with Banchero. Uh, not at all. In fact, he's probably the best, he's the best playmaker of the three. So yeah, for sure. And, and I thought he was great in when it really counted in the tournament. Yep. Right. Uh, he's big. He's, he's almost, M- I think he's NBA ready now physically. It's 250, 610, 250. He's a, he's a big cat. And, and not a heavy 250. Not a heavy. No. Yeah. Right. Right. So uh, I like him. I like him a lot. Uh, but, but uh, Jabari Smith is a, Lights out shooter for almost anybody of any size, and yet he's 6'10. And he's arguably a better defender uh, than any than anyone in the trio that we're whom we're discussing. And he seems to like to defend, which is such a big part of the of the equation. So um, you know, I did notice something interesting on the draft telecast. I Holmgren said something to Smith. Right after um, Orlando's name was pulled from the envelope, I'm sure Magic fans noticed the same thing. Uh, I would love to know what Holmgren said to Smith right there because Orlando is thought of stereotypically, I'm not saying correctly, as kind of a wasteland you know, for NBA players. Uh, is it fair? No, but that I think is what the the thought is. I would, I would just be curious. Who knows? Maybe he was wishing and giving, offering congratulations. Who knows? <laughs> I really don't know, but I would just love to know what was said there. I'm just curious. Uh, he covered well, himself as he did it, if I remember. You, you know what? Did you see what I saw? <laughs> I was in a sea of Thunder fans tonight, Josh. I didn't, I didn't see a whole lot except for Thunder fans just losing their minds. Okay, well, I was sequestered in the bunker here, my apartment. Washington, so I was totally undistracted. <laughs> well, Josh, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, really appreciate it. Go check out all of Josh's content on The Athletic. Josh, thanks, man. My pleasure. I wish I could stick around and watch the rest of your conversations. <laughs> but great to see you, too. You're the best. I'd like to welcome on Kelly Eco. Kelly is a beat writer at The Athletic, writing about the Houston Rockets. Kelly, what's up, man? What's going on? Long day. <laughs> you know how you know, it is every time the lottery comes around, but yeah, it's been a long day, man. Yeah, it's, it's been a big one. Uh, the Rockets had the best odds going into uh, the lottery and fell down to three. What was the what was the initial reaction from from Rockets fans from your point of view? I think it was relief whenever you saw, you know, Tatum put, putting the boards over and trying to see who was going to get that top five, you know, guarantee. And yeah. one of the Rockets, I think Rockets fans, their biggest worry was, you know, if you go on tankathon.com and do all the simulations, they had a lot of them picking five. And mm. although this draft class doesn't have a clear-cut favorite, everyone knows that, you know, between the likes of Chet Holmgren, Paolo Banchero, and Jabari Smith, there's, a, I guess, a, a trauma of, of talent at the top. So they at least wanted a top three pick. You know, anything besides that would have been a disappointment because, you know, they did finish the season with the worst record in the NBA, which in the past would have 
would guarantee you, you know, the number one pick, but, you know, things change now. But I think as the picks came in and they realized they were at least safe with the top three pick, there was a bit more relief. And now it's kind of, uh, it's easier for them because, you know, picking first, there's a lot of stress that goes into it because if you screw it up, now you're sitting back there rebuild it two, three, four years, even five years. But now you can actually take best player available and just hone in on whoever's left of Chet, you know, Paolo and Jabari. So I think it's a bit of a relief for them. And looking at some of the mock drafts that came out right after it was announced, it seems like all of them have Paolo dropping to three. Right. Would he, like, how do you feel about that? Like, would that be your pick? Like even, even if you could pick any of the three, would Paolo be your number one? Because it, it kind of is surprising to me that he would drop down to three because I, I really like him a lot. My number one, it, I went back and forth on this for a few weeks, but my number one would have been Jabari Smith is because I think he's more of a complete player right now in terms of three and D. You can slot him in um, 6'10", knockdown shooter, switchable defender. I think the reason why Paolo sl- slides is because of his defense, honestly, because everything else he can do with the ball, he's he's a playmaking 6'10", you know, scoring big. And teams should cover that, you know, in this day and age where teams, uh, they value, you know, versatility, they value positionless basketball. And I think Banchero is inside-outside game is crazy. His footwork is is solid. Um, He can read the floor very well. He can make those high-level reads. And I think he pairs really well with the Jalen Green that is super athletic and, and is going to be, you know, a star in this league, but he's also trying to improve as a playmaker himself. And Steven Salas in his offense, he wants guys to be able to handle the ball. You know, he wants to be able to have offensive variance. He kind of spoke to that a lot last season, kind of being able to be dynamic and, and dangerous. And I think Banchero fits it like a glove. So it, I would have him there over someone like a Jaden Ivey or, you know, a Shaden Sharp or a Keegan Murray. How worried would you be, though, about the defense? Because you you know, have KPJ, you have Jalen Green, Shen Goon, right. adding Paolo into that. If there's one knock against him, it's that people don't have super high hopes for his defense, at least initially. Right. How can you build a functional defense with those guys on the roster? Well, their defense is going to be got off of this next season, and it probably will be like that for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the hope is that you bring in these kids and you – put them in a system where you can build their physicality. You can teach them good habits. Um, Obviously where they are right now, you're not going to expect a whole lot from them in terms of being a viable defensive unit, just because, you know, they're kids, they're coming from high school and college where they have a lot of bad habits and they're in the way the game is played today. A lot of young players don't really not say care about defense, but the game is so offense oriented now that it's all about glitz and glamour, you know? So if you bring in someone like Paolo, who is not a good defender, and you pair him with Jalen, who's not a good defender yet, KPJ, who's improving, but he's not, you know, league average yet, then you have Shangun and, and whatnot. You are going to struggle on defense. But the hope is for them, at least over time, you guys can learn how to be maybe league average at best or something like that, because this is not going to be a top 10. Defense not going to be a top 15 defense, to be honest. Um, but for a young team, you want to see excitement. You want to see something to build on. And I think if you start on the offensive side of the ball, then you can try and, and, and you know, put the pieces where they may on defense. So 
I think right now, I don't think they're too worried about the defense right now, like in Houston's front office, just because, you know, this is the worst team in the league. There's going to be ways to improve on all ends of the floor. So I think just bring in the best player available and then you worry about the rest later. So if, if perhaps the Rockets front office is locked in on Chet or Jabari and it it feels like they're going to go one and two. Right. Uh, what would a trade package look like for them to to entice the Thunder or or the Magic so they could get up and get their guy? Well, it would have to involve number three, probably 17 as well. Then you could throw in maybe a Christian Wood, you know, or a Shangun, if, depending on what the Thunder want. Um, because I think Wood is kind of like a thunderish kind of player, you know, someone who's who's six ten big who can do a lot of things on the floor. Shangun is going to bring that that Jokic ish, you know, passing blend and and just the potential. I think, but three and seventeen and Wood for number two, I think that's a it's a certainly a conversation starter. Um, if if you're if you're if you're the Rockets or the Thunder, you might have to add something on the back end as well to that. But I think 317, a young, a young, a youngish big in Wood or Shangun is, is a starting point for sure. But um I, I from what I understand, the Rockets are pretty high on Banchero as well. So it's not like mm-hmm. it's cheddar bust, you know? Sure. They're they're perfectly fine taking Banchero if 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 the draft is tomorrow. Let's say they do take Palo at three. They still have picked 17. Is there someone right. in that range that you like or that you've heard from the fan base that they're really hoping falls to that spot? Yeah, there, there, are, num- there are a number of guys in 17, and that's kind of what I'm using this week to kind of evaluate. You know, guys like um, Eason, Liddell. You look at Usman Dieng, who might fall. You look at Jovic. One sleeper I have that I've been particularly high on is Marjan um, Beauchamp out of the G League. I just think mm-hmm. that... And I had this kind of, I had this similar hunch last, this time last year when uh, the Rockets were looking at Josh Christopher. And you remember Josh Christopher, a lot of people said he was going second round, um, mid to late second round. And and he ended up going end of the first because of his strong combine week. And I think Beauchamp is kind of a similar player in the sense that he's athletic as hell. Um, he's confident in his game as a gamer. Um, he can put the ball on the floor. He can, he can pull up. He can defend. Um, it's just, he, the numbers like the shooting splits weren't that great this season. Um, but if you look at the tape, actually, like you go look at the games, you, you can see that this guy's an impact player. So he would be my sleeper for for seventeen. Um, but I got more coming on this, so stay tuned. We'll go read all of Kelly's stuff at the Athletic. Kelly, thanks so much for coming on, man. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. All right, Andrew, we now go to the number four pick, which was the one team that made the biggest jump up. It was the Sacramento Kings. And joining us to discuss the Kings is Jillian Atch, who is the host of the Sports Ethos Sacramento Kings podcast. Jillian, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me on. So uh, Kings fans have been through a lot. Um, yes. This off season, <laughs> last off season, last decade years. and a half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I've seen it for like thirty plus, so <laughs> I'm used to it. But I will say, you mentioned us making a jump in twenty. We've been in the lottery twenty six years. Twenty six. Holy smokes! We've jumped four times. Four times. This is our fourth wow. time. We have fallen back more than eleven. So wow. we normally go back. So this was exciting for us to um, 
to make a jump. And hopefully this time we don't <laughs> we don't screw. <laughs> well, it, it was nice. My dog agrees. You, <laughs> my dog agrees. You you obviously had like the stressful coach search. Um, even today, we found out that Vivek was hiring his daughter as the assistant GM of of the G League team. But finally, the Kings get some great news. Like obviously, great news. There's no downside here. What what was your what were your feelings as you as you saw that it was being revealed and you realized that the Kings were jumping up? I, it was excitement. I mean, because I I know that in since they've adjusted the percentages, number seven has always made the jump. So me as oh, a really? Kings fan, I was like, oh, we're going to be the first team that doesn't, right? Like we had a higher percentage to go to eight than we did of of moving up. So it was genuine. I really didn't think it was going to happen. We go in hoping for the best, expecting the worst. So um, I, I will say I'm bummed it wasn't a top three. To me, it was kind of very Kings to be in a when you keep hearing it's a three person draft and we end up four, right. like it's a, of course, um, <laughs> but there's also a lot of options at four and whether they choose to, to draft the pick or um, I know Indiana has already said that they will be very aggressive in trying to move up. Um, I, if Detroit wants Jaden Ivy enough, maybe they work out some sort of swap like uh, Atlanta and Dallas did a couple of years ago, you know, with Trey and Luca, you know, swapping those ones. Um, if they're not sold on any one person, I do think there's a lot of opportunity with that four spot um, when it comes to to movement, if that's the, the decision they decide to make. Yeah. So, so at four right now, like the, the clear name that everybody's hearing is Jaden Ivey, who is not the cleanest fit in Sacramento right now. Another guard. Yeah. What's <laughs> yeah. What's what's the what's the feel for, for Jaden Ivey right now? And and is he somebody that that Kings fans would be okay with maybe passing on to five and taking somebody else? I think so, but there at least based on social media, there are a lot of Kings fans that that like Ivy. And I'm in the concessive and and Monty has kind of showed this that he takes whoever he thinks is best player available, regardless of, you know, fit or what this team necessarily needs. And to me, they're not good. So if you think Jaden Ivy is better than any of the guards you have currently, you take Ivy and then you move, you know, whoever else you have to move to then swap talent, you know, and assets that way. Um, I don't think we're good enough to take a fit pick, which is what happened with Bagley, right? Like, Every Kings fan wanted Luca, um, but it was, how is he going to fit with Fox? Well, Luca's better than Fox. So again, like, I think you have to assess on, you know, each, each of these picks, you know, these players, whoever they happen to look at, if it's Ivy, if you think he's better than Mitchell, if he's better than Terrence Davis, if he's better than Dante DiVincenzo, which I think he is, then, um, to me, you look at making that move, and if it doesn't work, then I don't think Fox is going to be here that much longer, anyways. And you go forward with an IV, and then you, you know, talk about moving Fox, and then eventually you're going to have to talk about moving Sabonis. So I will say the one hard thing when it comes to us is Monty's on the last year of his deal. Mm-hmm. So is he going to go for a safe pick or is you know, over maybe uh, a shade and sharp who is the unknown, but right. could end up being the best player in the draft and can fit that 
um, shooting guards, small, small uh, forward position. Um, you have Jaden Ivey, or does he t- go for like a safe pick, like a Keegan Murray, where we don't have that stretch, you know, power forward, and he could fit next to Sabonis, and he looks at as okay. Well, here's a player that seemingly will get the most out of Fox and the most out of Sabonis, and is ready right now. And I have a year left on my deal to try and make the playoffs. Otherwise, I'm gone. So to me, it's, I really don't know which way he's going to go because it, will he swing for the fence on a guy that he might never see develop because he's not going to be here? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that that's really important context with Monty because the other option would be like, they could theoretically trade this pick for a veteran to help them push for the playoffs. But like, if yeah. you do a move like that, what is the caliber of player that you're expecting back with the number four pick? Like what would... What would be enough for That's you to feel comfortable question. doing that? Yeah, I know when we were projected at seven, a lot of locals around here were figuring that they would maybe try and swap it for like a Jeremy Grant or something like that. Like that's something they could mm. slot next to, um, you know, a, a ready now player that they could slot in next to Sabonis and Fox. Now that you're at four, I don't know. Like that wouldn't be enough to me to move from four. Right. So, um without knowing who's out there and available it to me, I'd want an all-star caliber player. If I'm getting rid of a number four pick, um, if they do like John Collins is another one that's always connected here with this front office, but I don't even know if that, I don't think that would be enough just at four. I don't know with that contract. Yeah. That would be a lot to give up. Which is why I'm kind of more hoping that it's, if you're looking at like a, a, a Detroit or an Indiana um, to where if, if you have like, let's say they have Ivy Keegan Murray sharp um, and like a, a tier of three, if they can move back one or move back two um, with either of those teams, either of those teams and get some sort of veteran in return um, or a future first that they can then pair to trade for, let's say uh, a Jeremy Grant or something, you know what I mean? Like use other assets with that um, and move back without feeling like they're falling down a tier. Um, I could see them making that kind of move, but again, it's, it's, it's hard to know. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So setting the draft aside, and this might include the draft because we're talking about like if they traded back or something, like now they have Sabonis in place, you have Fox in place. What are like the big team needs in your mind for Sacramento? Just this general off season, which could be accomplished during, do, you know, through the draft, or might be accomplished in other ways. Shooting, they need shooting. length and shooting. I mean, that's their and defense. <laughs> I mean, the most common thing they need length, right. shooting, and defense. <laughs> but all their guards are pretty small. Um, Harrison Barnes is like their is their only small forward, and you know is six, eight, but they play a lot of their, um, shooting guards at small forward and, you know, they're six, four, six, five. 
Um, they need a, a stretch four that goes next to Sabonis, which is why I think you're seeing uh, Keegan Murray mentioned a lot around um, the Kings right yeah. now, especially from ESPN. They have him projected there just because he's the safe pick, right? He's good, like nothing against him, um, but he's the safe pick that will slot in as a shooter next to Sabonis, and he won't totally kill you on defense. So it kind of right. fits all of those, even though he's not necessarily the highest ceiling um, type player. I I don't know if I would pick him at four to me. I, I liked him at seven, but at four, um, that kind of scares me. I don't know. Yeah. So, so is there a potential? I mean, you kind of alluded to this earlier that this fourth pick could like reshape the Kings franchise again. It, it could. I mean, knowing this place, it's anything can happen. Yeah. <laughs> That's, we have a new coach coming in and a GM on the last year of his deal. Like we go through this cycle every couple of years. And so, all we hear is that Monty's it has to be very active, right? This is the off season that makes or breaks him. Um, he, he ownership allowed him to make that Tyrese Halliburton deal. Um, and they have the longest, you know, playoff drought in, in sports. And so, and ownership, they've already come out and said their mandate this year is making the playoffs again, like whether we think their roster is good enough Jeez, or not, yeah. like that's what they're saying. And so, that's why you never see the Kings tank because for nine years under Vivek, the mandate has been make the playoffs. And so we're always sitting in that 10 to 12 range, never going anywhere. Um, but yeah, with all that, with all that context, it really does feel like Keegan <laughs> Murray is the obvious pick because and I think that's he, why you're seeing him. Yeah. Like, like he seems like the most ready to play. Like he, he fits a position of need. Like he does give them some length. He gives them some shooting. He's not going to kill them on defense. Like, I don't, I, I, I and he'll be in the with, league, right? Like he, right. he will stay in the league. He's not where I will say this place. We've been in the lottery for so long since 2017. We have three players on our roster from, from those drafts. 11 are either on another team or out of the league completely. Like our, it's either we hit a Fox like with Fox and Mitchell where they'll be in the league or they're completely out of the league and <laughs> right. nowhere to be seen. So in that sense, Murray kind of fits that where he's not going to be a star, but you know, he's a player, right? Like he's going to be around. Yeah. And so uh, with the GM again, in the last year of his deal, like I won't be shocked if he goes that route. So last question, uh, the Kings just finished a coaching search that caused a lot of anxiety for Kings fans, but they ended up <laughs> with Mike Brown. How are you feeling about the selection of Mike Brown? Now that you've had a few weeks to think about it. I know you were doing, you're doing podcast episodes on all the coaching candidates. Yes. So he's someone you had done a deep dive on. Yeah. Um, out of the three finalists, he would have been my choice. So in that sense, I like it. Um, I am, you know, I'm kind of bummed that we didn't see any of the younger candidates um, make it to the in-person interview. But um, again, when you have a guy like Monty, who's fighting, you know, for his GM life, I guess you could say he went with the defensive um, you could say steady hand of, of Mike Brown. And so I can understand that in, in that aspect. And I hope it works out because Mike's a good guy. Um, 
And, you know, this could be his last opportunity. Like it's, yeah, we've had, sure. we've had one coach, Rick Adelman, who's, who's managed to get over five, a 500 record in Sacramento. Like we've had eight seasons of 500 basketball in 38 years. Like that's, that's, it was all Adelman. That's our set. And it was all Adelman. So when we always say we're looking for the next Rick Adelman, um, Mike Brown, it, interesting enough, it was 16 years um, in Sacramento that Rick Adelman was hired at the age of 54 and turned around the Kings. It's 16 years of a playoff drought. A 54 year old Mike Brown is taking over the Kings. Maybe, <laughs> maybe there's something there and we'll get lucky. That's some good synergy. I mean, of the three options, I agree because like he's the youngest of the three options. Mm-hmm. He he's been an assistant coach on a, with a really good franchise. He's been a head coach yep. with the Nigerian national team. Like, even I, I I get why people shy away from Mike Brown because he gets lumped in with all the other sure. like coaching retreads. Um, but I think of those options, he was the obvious choice. Yeah, and I keep going back to like right when we had Alleman. If you look at his resume back then, like now. He would have been considered a retread. He had those good years in Portland and then two bad years in Golden State. Um, And when you look at SACB articles from back then, he was considered the not flashy pick like there in the actual B article. So it was very similar into what we're kind of seeing now. So I'm hoping for him that he'll strike luck because anyone that's successful here, like you will get a statue outside of us. Like you get us. (laughs) As an eight seed to the playoffs, like your jersey will be retired and you will get a statue. Um, well, and there's you- a reason why so many of those players still live here. Like we all get made yeah. up, made fun of in Sacramento, but we have so many ex players that live here because they can just be themselves and be normal and not be bothered. And people love them because if you just do average, like you will be loved. So. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. If it feels like with that top three in the draft that the you're going to hear a lot over the next month, like the draft starts at four with the Kings, which makes for a very exciting month for Kings fans. I'm sure it'll be very yeah. anxiety inducing, but I'm 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 just like fascinated by what they decide to do because it feels like they could go so many different ways. I think after talking to you, it feels like Keegan Murray would be like the most obvious pick based on all the context around the team. But I'm really interested to hear over this next month, if there are trade rumors and the quality of player that is talked about in potential trades for that fourth pick. And I will say what we think Monty's going to do, he usually always does the opposite. So he very well could surprise us all. Um, Yeah. And plenty of us are also hoping that there could be someone that jumps into the top three, you know, you never know. Um, And we're able to get one of the three that fall back. So I guess anything. Thanks so much. And, uh, and go, go check out the Sports Ethos Sacramento Kings podcast. Check out Jillian is on Twitter as well. Great follow. And uh, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I'd like to welcome in James Edwards of The Athletic. He is a beat writer at The Athletic. He covers the Detroit Pistons. James, what's up, man? Nothing much, man. Appreciate you having me on. Uh, been a wild day, but a fun day. This is actually my first lottery. Um, I've done the combine before, but I haven't done the lottery. So this was, it was an event for sure. Were you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yep. I'm in Chicago. I didn't know you were there. Okay. Well, you got to tell us about it. What was it like? Are you in the room? I didn't do the secret room. No. Um, I thought about it, but the reason I didn't is just because the Pistons had a real chance at number one. 
Yeah. And when you're in the secret room, you don't get your phone or computer access until after the show is done. Yep. So mm. I'm going to do it at some point. Uh, maybe if the Pistons are like they're just outside the play in or losing the play in, and the odds of them getting number one are low, I want to do it. Uh, but it was cool. Like you see everybody. Um, like this is for OKC fans. I just ran past Chet and his family. They're downstairs at the hotel eating. Uh, yeah. Everybody's here getting food. Brushing shoulders, seeing people you haven't seen in a while. Like the whole league is here, uh, besides the best teams in the NBA and their associates. But <laughs> the whole league is here. Um, it's a fun time. It's all like we're at the Marriott Marquis. The Wintrust Arena is across the street. Um, where the place they did the lottery is connected to this. Like everything is right here. It's it's just really cool. So you That's were in the room incredible. when they were when they were pulling the envelopes, though. Like yeah, what you one? what you saw on TV, I was in that room. Yep. What's the energy like in that room as it's being revealed one by one? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I would say similar to like what it is on TV. Like you're you're kind of on the edge of your seat. It's interesting. Um, the way they set it up is really cool. Like the stage looks really really good in person. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of people filed in there. Whether it's uh, team execs, uh, media. Even I think people there was just people I didn't even know who they were families I don't know it was just everybody sitting almost like a award show and you're everybody's kind of like on edge to see like who gets it like nobody I don't not very many people there's people in there with a rooting interest but it's just interesting like you're just curious to see who gets it um it's dark the lights are dim except for the stage where ESPN is and the the main stage it's really cool it it, it is an event I didn't describe it well. It's hard to describe, but it's it's an event. It's, it's literally an event. So the Pistons will have the fifth pick. They were yeah. slotted at three. They fell two spots down to five. What mm-hmm. was like the, your initial reaction or maybe even the reaction from the fan base uh, as as the, the results unfolded? My personal reaction was happiness because I have content for the next month as, uh, <laughs> as a journalist. Uh, the fans, you know what? Again, and I, all I see is Twitter. A lot of them were fine. I think, well, I know getting Cade last year, everybody was just so excited to get Cade. Yeah. And that was the draft to get number one. The Pistons got it. Yep. They were, I, I felt like if they would have, I think they felt like if they would have got anything above five, like it was just extra credit. And I think obviously they're not ecstatic because the team didn't win a lot of games this year. And the goal was to, this might be the last chance they have a realistic shot at number one. Uh, because of how good Kate is, but I think a lot of people trust Troy um, and know that this is why he's here. He he obviously could have took somebody else besides Kate, but all three of those guys kind of smacked you in the face with how good they are. Yeah, uh, this is where this is why Troy's here to to get a guy at five. And it's obviously early in the process, but looking at some of the instant mock drafts that came out. See names like Jay Nivey, Keegan Murray, Shaden Sharp. Those are kind of the common names you would see falling to the Pistons at five. Mm-hmm. Is there one of those three guys that really excites you or maybe even another guy that I didn't mention? Uh, when I uh, talk to people, uh, Keegan Murray is somebody that has fans in Detroit's front office. Um, and that's been, that's been there for a while. Um, I, I'm intrigued by the fit with either Cade and Sharp or Cade and Ivey. Um, I would rather gamble on Sharp and just his potential than Ivy personally. Um, and then another name that I think needs to be mentioned, it could be considered at that spot is uh, Benedict Matherin from Arizona. Yeah. Um, I've had a few people tell me they think he's the best wing in this class. Um, blends athleticism and shooting pistons need both. 
they don't have a lot of athleticism on the wing, and if they do, that person can't shoot. So it's it's there are options there. And, and Troy said uh, we're not worried because we got two all, three all rookies in two years. So yeah. he's confident drafter. Um, he likes the guys that are there, and I I think Keegan Murray is, might be the clubhouse leader. Obviously, one of Sharp or Ivy is probably going to be there at five, uh, just based on the math. Uh, but you never know. Sacramento's in the top four, so something crazy could happen. But it's uh, yeah, I think Detroit genuinely likes some guys that should be there for them at five. Yeah, talk a little bit more about Keegan Murray, like his fit with Detroit specifically. Like, why do yeah. you think he has so many fans in that front office? I think just the way he plays. He plays his ass off. One, two, um, smart basketball player doesn't necessarily need the ball to be effective. Uh, long, athletic. I, I love the way he moves in transition. I love the way he just gets downhill. Like I know it's at the college level. Guys just really couldn't stay in front of him. Um, he's either bigger, stronger, or, or longer and, and a little quicker. And then also I think from Detroit's perspective, um, if, if you get Murray, it gives you options with Jeremy Grant. Um, they have Jeremy enters next season with a uh, expiring contract. Um, they have to make a decision to extend him or, or trade him this summer. There's obviously talks of him getting traded at the deadline. You get Keegan Murray, there's your grant replacement. Maybe you can call up Portland and say, hey, what do you want for that seventh pick? And, and you turn that into two things. So I think Murray is a could be a grant replacement as well as somebody that could come in and be impact player quicker than many think. Um, and then also give Detroit another asset by moving Jeremy Grant. Um, or if they go guard route, you get a good guard to have your backcourt of the future. You keep Jeremy Grant, and then you're rolling out a, um, a Cade, Matherin, Sharp, Ivy, Sadiq Bay, Jeremy Grant, Isaiah Stewart lineup, and that's that sounds fun. Um, so I think Detroit's in a good spot, but Keegan Murray is a guy that I think plays hard. Uh, everything you hear about the kid, he's a good kid, culture fit for Detroit. Um, I think he can impact the, the at the NBA level right away, and just seems very much like a Troy Weaver type guy. So is there a chance that Detroit trades this pick either to try to trade up or back or even tries to acquire a player? What would, are you, you have any thoughts on that? I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities. Um, I, I know that Detroit before this, right after the season ended, said that they're in talent acquisition mode, acquisition mode. And, if they can use that pick to get talent, I think they go for it. Um, I, I do think, like I said, they like players at five, but I don't think he's he would walk away from any deal just because it's the fifth pick and they're a young team. Like if there's something there that makes sense, I think he would do it. I think if he could package something to move up, like what if could Grant and five get you up to uh, who's picking third? Is it Houston? Right, Houston. Eh, yeah. Probably not, depending on just where they're at. But the, the Kings uh, are the interesting one, right? Yeah. Like, right. Like I don't know if it's worth it to move up one spot. You know, no. like what, like what could you really get? I think you'd be happy with whoever falls to you at right. five. But um, maybe if they do have a guy that the yeah, Kings like are going to take, Chet, if Chet's going to be, if if there's a world that Chet's there at four, which mm-hmm. I think there is a world. Sure. And I think if the Pistons had number one pick, I think it would be between Chet and Jabari. Mm-hmm. Maybe you do that. Maybe you find something. I, I, I think everything's on the table. I definitely do. I think Troy likes who they can get at five. If there's a chance to move up and it makes sense, I think there's players he likes more up top that he would go for. If he wants to move back to get more assets, I don't think he's missing out at five that he couldn't get at seven or eight or, or, or nine necessarily. You mentioned uh, Jeremy Grant and the possibility of trading him. 
it seemed like at the deadline, there was this idea that like if the Blazers get this Pelicans pick, which is probably going to be around 12 or 13, there's the obvious move for them to trade that for Jeremy Grant at mm-hmm. the at the draft. Now that they don't have that extra pick, they fall back back to seven. Do you think that that is like too high of a pick for Portland to put on the table for Jeremy Grant? And is the 2025 Milwaukee pick not good enough of a pick to put on the table for Jeremy Grant? No, that's a good question. I think... In my mind, yes, that's too much. Like the seventh pick, genuinely, uh, you feel like you get a more uh, not established established player or proven player with that pick in history. But this draft isn't great. So maybe you could see Portland feeling that whoever they get at seven isn't going to be Jeremy Grant. And we have a window now with Damian Lillard. I, I'm of the belief that you could, they could probably like, could that seventh pick not get you like DeAndre Ayton? Um, hmm. but then the sign, like if, if he's leaving, there's just too many things, but I, I feel like in just on the, on the surface, yeah, that's too much, but they might not value this draft that much. Um, and it could just be a straight swap seven for Jeremy. And maybe that makes sense for all parties involved, but yeah, I, in my mind, I, you'd think you'd be able to get a little bit more if you package something with the seventh pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are there any teams like back at like, 10 11 13 14 maybe if would that be a, a pick that's a little bit more palatable do you think or it makes a little bit more sense or any te- other are there yeah. any other like jeremy grant teams in that range i mean i i don't think this team goes for him but i think like cleveland would be a good fit with if you go jared allen evan mobley jeremy grant at the three i know people mm-hmm. kind of see jeremy more as a four uh, but just to like answer your question um memphis has how many firsts this year they have three. They've got one, two. They've got two. Two. That's one that's kind of intrigued me. I know they're picking a little bit higher, but they could use a type of Jeremy Grant type guy to go to that next level. Um, maybe they pack. What? Which do you know? Do you have in front of you which two theirs are? Twenty-two and twenty-nine. I mean, that's not. I don't think that's odd for a Jeremy Grant trade package when you look at Aaron Gordon got traded for. Gary Harris, RJ Hampton, and a and a future first. That's about close value. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think most of the teams that were going for Jeremy were playoff teams that didn't have a ton to offer. I think that's what makes Portland interesting. Is it's a team that could be a playoff team as soon as next year if they build the roster right, and they might not necessarily be as uh, attached to that seventh pick. Well, James, thanks so much for coming on the show. Go follow all of James Edwards work at the athletic and go listen to his podcast he's got a podcast called the bun and cardigan show it's a super fun detroit pistons podcast they just dropped an episode about this draft and about the fifth pick so go listen to that james thanks so much for coming on i appreciate you guys having me man thank you spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days i know i'm looking outside right now sun's out birds are chirping It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids. And honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. 
There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. I'd like to welcome Matt Penny to the podcast. Matt, you are our draft expert on this mm. beautiful, beautiful lottery <laughs> night. Uh, you can listen to Matt on the Game Theory podcast with our guy Sam Vicini. Matt, how's it going, man? Uh, I'm doing awesome. I know you guys are doing awesome. I feel like we're at a um, like a college party at like <laughs> three in the morning. Everyone went home. We're just like sitting on the front steps, just like reminiscing like how oh. awesome it was. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, should we do one more? Man, let's do one more. How many times like this are we going to get together again? This is this is awesome. The lottery is great. And I'm glad the ping pong balls fell your way for the thunder. I know it's a national show, but it's hard for me to hide my my happiness for you guys, too. Oh, it's it's glorious. It's a, as as a uh, Thunder fan, it's a it's a glorious night. Uh let's first talk Orlando. The Orlando Magic won yeah. the lottery. They uh jumped up one spot, and they're just in an interesting spot because I don't know that there's a clear fit here in Orlando and I don't, and I think Alex might disagree with me, but I look at these three bigs and it's Chet Jabari and Paolo Bancaro. And I'm not sure that I know who the right choice is there. Do you have, have you wrapped your mind around that yet? I don't know. I'm wondering if this is like a bear trap to send me down the direction of who you want <laughs> uh, to uh, No, But the, the good thing for Orlando is like they have options and, and real options and they could use another big, despite Mo Bamba being a restricted free agent, d- despite extending Wendell Carter, when you can upgrade to a Chet Homer or Jabari Smith jr. You do it. Right. And it's like, if, if it was a guard at the top and they have such a, a log jam or just a, a multitude of guards, but you have a big thing to step in and I think play right away, but also develop and be a lot bigger down the road with, with time. And, and that's why I think you take the biggest swing to go with Chet Holmgren because if all those things come together, he's going to be the guy that, that makes the most sense. It may not year one. I don't think there's like a, a necessary urgency from Orlando to go out and win 40 games next year. I don't think it's a failure if they end up in the lottery. So with Chet's rim protection, with his shot blocking, with his scoring, the shooting, the stuff he does off transition, and, and just so much to build upon being seven foot tall with a seven foot seven wingspan, needs weight, needs time. That's who I would take number one. Uh, I did the quick little perusal around the internet after the lottery. We recorded a pod and I just looked at everyone's mock draft. Not many people have Chet first. A lot of people have Jabari Smith Jr., who's an unbelievable shooter and may fit better from day one. Uh, but I would still take Chet home growth. That'd be my pick. So you mentioned Jabari and Chet and the name. And, and, and I agree. I was looking at mock drafts and they all had Jabari. Yeah. Like maybe I saw one or two with Chet. I didn't see any with Palo. And I don't understand why, because on this team where it feels like they just need a guy who can go get a bucket, you know, they were second worst offense in the league last year that you feel good defensively about the magic. They have like a ton of guys you feel good about defensively, but like, how are they scoring points going forward? Why is Palo not the obvious choice for the magic in this scenario? 
It's not obvious because I think that we've seen as much as he can still improve from his jumper and shot 34% from three. And sometimes there's a hesitancy. There weren't like a ton of other offensive holes in his game where defensively there was, whereas just with Chet and with Jabari, you know, that can do even more. So you saw these like flashes that were just like so incredible. It's like, holy smokes, this guy can piece this together for a whole game, for a season, for 10 years down the road. Those are the type of players that can change a franchise. I like Paul Bancaro a lot. I wrestled between three and four all year long. I dipped him down a little bit. I thought he had a really good bounce back in January. It's not a shot at him to say that he's probably more developed, just like a step further than than Chet and, and Jabari are. And that's why I have him just below. So if the shooting was a, a little bit better, I would put him in that category. But those two guys are really, to me, the cream of the crop. So it, it feels like it's going to be in some order, Chet, Jabari, Paulo Mancaro. It feels like yeah. whatever whatever the order is, those it'll be those three. And then Jaden Ivey feels like he's up next. But to you, who's who's the next like best player available? Is it Jaden Ivey? And if and if that's the answer, like I guess my real question is like who are the guys that are up next in this draft? <laughs> who who else gets us excited after that trio and then the Jaden Ivey as like the tail end of that trio? Yeah, it, it's it's really funny, like the the way things kind of change from like not even week to week, but like day to day. Uh, there was a push for Jaden Ivey, like, why isn't he number one? And now yeah. we're like, well, is yeah, he four? Yeah. Like, wait a minute. Like, what? How did <laughs> how did we get here? We I just read all the tweets last the last few days about nobody or six tens doing anything in the playoffs. But like, here's a guy that kind of plays like John Morant, who uh, his mom was an assistant coach for John Morant and patented right. his game after that. Here's the guy who's killing the playoffs. But yeah, I don't know, fifth, sixth. Uh, he's the next guy for me. Uh, the way the ping pong balls bounced, I don't really believe in those three being like real fits for him. If, mm-hmm. if say like the Blazers had number one or, or Sacramento, maybe it's like a different, better look, but with the holes that those top three had in the middle, that's why I think he slides down. It's nothing against his game because when he was on the big 10 and going end to end at a thousand miles per hour under control, then zipping passes to the corner for open threes, then dunking on guys. And when he actually wanted to play defense a little bit, jumping the lane for steals, like he looked like he could play in an NBA playoff game right now. The next crop is funky, and I don't want to say it falls off at all, but it's just different because Shaden Sharp, and I know you guys have talked yourself into him and out of him a little bit, he's like the mystery man. He's the guy who... If this one hits, is he like the the latest edition of a high school because he was at Kentucky, didn't play like a high school to NBA type leap guy where he's this unbelievable shot creator and scorer at six, five. He's really long. He's strong. He looks like an NBA wing. And and then it's like I don't it's it's been this weird shift of I've really been a fan of Keegan Murray all year long from Iowa, had an unbelievable scoring season, shot nearly 40 percent from three. Uh, lived up to everything in the big moment post Luca Garza at Iowa, but he doesn't have like this sensational sizzle reel that one of these other guys do. And then it's like, do you, where do you get to the bigs? Where do you get into it? That that's the best thing about the water being tonight. It's not just names on paper. It's, it's great. Does AJ Griffin fit with Indiana at six? I don't know. Does it work with Portland who has Dame Lillard, who's at the draft tonight and, deflated when they get the seventh pick. And it's like, so I did all this for, for seven. And, and like, who's yeah. the guy? Like, oh, we're going to take Jeremy Sohan. It's like, great. Are, are we going to win eight more games this year because of Jeremy Sohan? Uh, so it, it's very, like, variable of, of who the next would be up. And it's very, very team dependent. 
Well, I want to ask you about one of your favorite guys, which is Johnny mm. Davis. Oh, yeah. Who has been high on your board all year. And I yeah. know he's one of your favorites. Based on how the draft kind of played out tonight, is there a fit that you instantly love and like a range? Because looking at Sam Vecini's mock that he just put out, he has him going all the way down to 14 with the Cavs, which is say, a great does, fit. Does he have him in the first round? <laughs> So he has him in the last pick of the lottery, but you could definitely see him going higher than that. Is there a team like in that mid lottery range that you feel like would be a good fit for him? I love him in New Orleans at eight, just because it's an established team that plays so hard, that plays so tough. And when you talk to coaches in the Big Ten, they all rave about, you know, obviously scoring. He's, he's player of the year, averaged 20 points per game or, or a hair under 20 points per game. It was just that competitive nature, the leadership, the fire, the playing through injuries, making his teammates better, putting his team on his back. He can do that in New Orleans, but there's not that burden of having to do it every single play. Like, let Brandon Ingram grow for a while. Let CJ McCollum create and shoot threes. Let's be the, the fourth guy in the scouting report. So then when you catch the ball, it's like a shifting defense for the third time, and you can attack. He can take more chances defensively. He's a dog defensively, too. So that's the first one that jumped out. I didn't mention Zion Williamson, which is crazy because you throw him in the mix right. too. And, and he's healthy. Like there, it's like the AD trade made all the sense in the world. Uh, that's a good one. If San Antonio didn't have a million guards wings, I, I'd say there. Uh, Washington's interesting because that's sort of like a let's start over and, and do whatever you want. And also at 11, I, I like the Knicks too, because that, that toughness just mixed with Coach Thibodeau, that, that works right away. But if I had one, it would be New Orleans at eight. So there's some interesting teams in here. We've got the Kings at four, we have the Pacers at six, and we have the Blazers at seven. All of which I think those teams would go into next year saying we would like to be in the playoffs or in the play-in mix. Uh, are there any players in that range that could help those teams get there? Ah, man, that, that's hard because I don't know initially right over the edge that can do that. A lot of these guys still need seasoning, like as good as Benedict Matherin was. Like, I don't think he's quite there yet. Uh, I, I really like Malachi Branham from Ohio State. He might go later in the lottery. He needs time. He's 19 years old. Uh, A.J. Griffin, as well as he shot it at Duke, like I don't think he's ready. Ochai Baji is 22. I, I think he'll be a, a nice piece, a good complimentary weapon to everything else you're doing, but not like the over the hump guy. So if you're looking for immediate impact, there are names, but I don't know beyond the top five, at least initially where it's draft this guy and, and right away, he's going to make your team so much better that it's going to bring you from a playing game to say like a seven seed. Yeah. What about Keegan Murray? I, I think he's the guy. I love him. I do. That, that yeah. He could be ready. I, I, <laughs> I picked him fifth for, uh, Detroit and uh-huh. Sam Sam Senior coworker said, "Oh, Pistons fans are going to hate you." I said, "Why?" why? <laughs> like, well, you got one chance to get it right with Caden. It's got to be Shaden Sharp. I'm like, well, I don't know if you get it right. Like, I, I've watched Shaden yeah. plenty plenty in high school. Uh, I watched him warm up. I've watched him do a workout video online at the combine, but he hasn't played a competitive game in a couple of years. That's just such a a swing. And who knows? Uh, Keegan Murray just feels like the the safest play. Think you know absolutely what you're going to get and there's still more to to what he can do but people are just dismissing him because he's a second guy in two years at iowa that averaged over 20 points per game and it's all right is this just offense so slated toward your top players that that's like the natural progression of things 
I think his shooting's a lot like understated. I know it's like nearly 40%, but the second half of the year, he was so much better. I love how he creates. He can be a mismatch nightmare where he takes like slower footed bigs out to the perimeter. He can guard multiple spots. It's just not like you're not winning the press conference, but I, he will help you win more games. I wanted to ask you about AJ Griffin because uh, he was someone who I was very interested in early in the process. And the more I've read about him, the question I keep coming back to is, what do I feel confident about him outside of his shooting? And, and the shooting is obviously Ooh. great because yeah. P- PD Webb wrote this awesome article talking about, is it, did AJ Griffin just have like the best freshman prospect shooting season ever? And it really is impressive. But outside of his shooting, what do you feel confident in? Because it doesn't seem like he gets to the line, like no one's raving about his defense. So like what else is there to AJ Griffin's game to get excited about? That's what I worry about. You get excited about if he returns to form from high school. He was a lot leaner. Uh, he's had a, an injury history, so I don't know if it's carrying a little bit of extra weight and a little bit of extra muscle because he hasn't been able to get up and down as much and just has been – one of the theories is he was never quite 100%. He just kind of like labored a little bit and got through it, Took his didn't take as many chances on drives. But when he was in high school – I wouldn't say he's like a high flyer, but if he's on a fast break, like he's doing a windmill, he's doing a 360, like he'd have a step on a guy on his hip and rise up and dunk. That never happened at Duke. I mean, there's more often times than not, he drives the lane and kind of like think about it and last minute pass or like kind of just like flail in there. The defense really scares me. I don't like his defense on or away from the ball. So I, I guess like what else can you count on is the hope that you return to the sophomore year A.J. Griffin before the injuries, before the COVID season, he can get back to being that guy that was thought of as being arguably top in the class, but at the very least a, a top 10 guy with NBA bloodlines with his dad playing the NBA for so long and still being an assistant coach. So another interesting player that wasn't uh, a part of the college basketball season was Dyson Daniels. Um, to me, he's, he's super intriguing. If you're looking for upside, I think that he's one that you that you consider in like the six to 10 range. Uh, what do you know about Dyson Daniels? Yeah, first thing that stands out is his age. He's very young. He's just unafraid. He's, he's not intimidated. I saw them play this season in College Park, Georgia, played the Skyhawks. And first possession of the game, he posted up, scored, used his length over the top of Sharif Cooper. And those are the type of mismatches they're going to use from him at the guard spot at, I think, without shoes and the measurements to be official in a few days here at the combine. But I think he's going to measure around six, seven, and maybe over six, eight with shoes. Is that as a guard or even like a secondary type creator off the ball? Uh, those are the attributes and kind of the archetype that you want as a, a really plus defender on the NBA level. I, I like his finishing package around the rim. Not the most like explosive, going to go up and dunk on you, but sort of does those awkward one leg off balance, off putting stuff that, that keeps you guessing. And he, he shot the ball so much better the second half of the season with the G League Ignite. And that's what people kind of worry about. Is that shot real? Can he make that a, a threat? Because he's not the the most fast of foot or the fleet of foot. And he's going to need that in the NBA because guys going to sag off. Doesn't quite have the vision of, say, like a Josh Giddy, but that type of game where he knows what he is. He's not going to do much more beyond that going to be somewhere i'd guess in that 8 to 20 range which i know is very wide but it's going to be ultimately fit and how it works for him i want to ask you about environment because there's so many different areas where players can come from nowadays like whether it's the nbl or the g league or overtime elite or college is there a guy or a couple of guys that you feel were 
most negatively impacted by the environment they were in and or maybe being undervalued simply because of where they played basketball last year like maybe they made a wrong decision about where they went Ooh, tough one uh i think overtime elite because it's just been so unproven that when i went and watched sean montero who's kind of slid down boards i didn't necessarily see it he didn't get me like overly excited and i didn't know if that was because of level of competition or just he'd been overhyped, but I went down there. I was like, I don't think he's necessarily a, a top 20 guy. Uh, Patrick Baldwin Jr. is the one that screams at me, mentioned him, but I don't want to fault a kid who goes to play at Milwaukee for his dad, who's the head coach. But he was put in a situation in an, an environment that it was hard because he's not an alpha type of player. He's six foot nine, could shoot the ball, but shot sub 30%. Saw a lot of kind of double teams and he doesn't have like the wiggle off the dribble to kind of create his own shot. Like he needs somebody to set the table for him. Their guards weren't great. So I try to see him as a guy that if he played for Kentucky or he played for Duke or he played for Kansas, what would he really look like as a player? So he didn't do himself any favors by going to play there. I totally understand going to play for your dad, but that was a a tough environment. And that's why he started the season for me in the top 10. And I, I still believe despite the numbers and despite the film being like, Hey, quit on a lot of plays defensively, but that's a flyer you take in the twenties. If you're a contender, it says, let's take him into our system. He'll get uh, aligned with our, our culture, our workout, our development, and hope he goes back to form. Same thing, same to AJ Griffin that he was prior to being in college. What, you, what about Jaden Hardy? Cause he's someone like rivals had him as like the sixth prospect in this class coming in. He decides to go to the G league. Like, how different would we feel about him if he had just gone the traditional college route? Depends. Depends. I I really liked Jaden out of high school, and I thought he could contend for the number one pick if he were sort of like did all the things he he had to 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 get there. Like, he was always a big-time shooter, a volume guy for sure, and had like really deep unlimited range. But like off the dribble, like keeping his eyes up to here comes a second defender, kick it out, he had to like improve on that. I didn't necessarily see that. There's a lot of Jaden Hardy fans online that will tell you you're an idiot if you don't have him in the in the top 20. I don't. It's just outside there. He does have a, a scoring package, but sometimes he just makes the shot so much harder than it has to be. Uh, and for as much as we may discredit him being the G League or, or saying like, hey, the competition's so much better, they also score a lot more too. So all those numbers are like really inflated. They average like 120, 130 points per game. So when you, you look and say like, oh, great, he had uh, 20 points, whatever, then you, you look down and, and see the guys he's playing with who also had 25 and the guy the other team had 32. So it was more like revealing, I'd say, for him than anything else, which we would have got to in the NBA a year from now, but maybe cost himself a few dollars in the short short term process of it. So watching the conference finals right now, there's not a lot of traditional bigs that are getting minutes right now. (laughs) And I look at this draft, there's not a ton of players that are traditional big men, but there's a few. Uh, Are there any that you think are worth a first round pick at this point? Like I'm thinking... Mark Williams, Jalen Duran, like those guys are for sure going to be uh, first round picks, but to are they going to be able to compete at a high level would be my question. And both NBA starters to me, I, I prefer Mark Williams a little bit more. And he showed sort of everything he was at Duke. There was one year where he was the focal point of the offense when Jalen Johnson left school and they were searching for a guy, he became the guy. 
this year they had Paul Bencaro, they had AJ Griffin, they had Wendell Moore, they had Trevor Keels. And he was okay being that kind of fifth guy, but then blocking shots, rim running, catching the lobs. That's what look the look of an NBA starting five is. And if you dig into the numbers, and I'm kind of more anti-traditional five than most players, most people, I guess. The teams and that like have made the playoffs in most rosters, they're they're bigs, they're fives who are still drafting the first round. So those guys are gonna come from somewhere. Yeah. I wouldn't take him in the top five or ten. Once you get later lottery, like I have Mark Williams 12th right now. I have Jalen Duran 13th. Um, I, I slid Walker Kessler down later in the year. I, I wasn't as impressed. And him defending in space and switches, who's kind of burnt a lot despite being really good in, in SEC defensive player of the year. But those are the two guys that I, I would hang my hat on and feel comfortable drafting. Because I, I think after sort of 10 or so, too, it's it's more of like a, a crapshoot. Do you want to take one of these unproven freshmen who are testing the waters and know you're not getting anything? Or a potential guy like Mark Williams who could start in, in two to three years as an NBA center. Yeah, Sam mocked him. And a lot of people have mocked him to the Hornets at 13. And yeah. even though it's not like a sexy pick, that feels like a perfect fit for like what the hornets need right now like they desperately need a center yeah I, I gave the i gave like the same line for kai jones and he actually like did okay like going up and down and, and playing in, in the g league but if you can get a guy who's like to me a step beyond that and, and more size where kai's probably more of a four thinks he's a four and probably thinks he's a three actually where mark williams embraces being this post presence and like anchor what you have to be out of the dunker spot uh, I'm going to ask you a, a deep, a deep cut question, I guess, because he didn't even show up in uh, Sam's entire mock draft, both second oh round. This but is going to be deep then, because Sam's mock drafts like 700 people, and he's always like, "Yeah, right outside the top 700." <laughs> I, I just wanted to ask if you had any opinion on Vince Williams Jr. from VCU. Oh God, he is uh, he's a draft Twitter darling. That's well, uh, apparently not. Tra- he doesn't even he doesn't even make the top 60 here. Yeah, he was he was he was solid in the A10 uh, this past season and has like snuck up on people with the intangibles, with a little bit of shooting, with a little bit of defending. Feels like a, a safest guy that I have in the second round right now. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what he did in the second G League Ignite Camp game. He wasn't great in the first one. I don't think he got a call up to the actual combine, which which hurts a little bit. But I definitely take a two way on him and roll the dice and just see what happens. I'm just trying to figure out who people are going to talk themselves into as being like this year's Herb Jones. Uh, well, from like a defensive standpoint or from like just like an out of nowhere standpoint? Uh, yeah, like a, like, a def- like a guy who could come in and be a potential like 3 and D, just like come in, plug, plug and play. Yeah, it felt like for a few weeks that was going to be Kevin McCuller out of uh, Texas Tech because he didn't really mm-hmm. have like the offensive freedom to, to shoot and he could really defend and, and get down. He actually – did hurt his ankle, so I don't think he's, his workout's going to be as in-depth, which hurts him. Uh, just as, like, uh, out of nowhere, I made some kind of tongue-in-cheek tweet about combine week being here and some of the 80s, like, shooting well for a game, and now he's in the 40s. I think Marcus Sasser from Houston is a name who who was injured and declared, and people didn't really know what he was doing, and, and he played well, and he has a chance to kind of move up. But a lot of people are saying, like, well, I have 50. I didn't know how healthy he was. That's a name that will keep creeping up. Uh, Jake LaRavia from Wake Forest seems like people weren't like super high and now you'd be hard pressed to find him outside like the top 35 or 40 for people. That's a that's another name to kind of monitor that can climb up here too. What do you think about uh, Leonard Miller, who's kind of like the new mystery Ooh. man? <clears throat> yeah, that's 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 a Canadian man of mystery. 
not as much mystery for me because luckily I have seen him multiple times this year. Uh, I get it from the size at, at 6'10", 6'11", has some bit of like a funky Lamar Odomi type game of shooting over the top of guys, trying to take them off the dribble, big wide Euro steps to cover ground. His high school team, he was allowed to do whatever he wanted. He averaged 30 points per game, uh, got back on defense once in a while, took a lot of crazy shots, caught a lot of alley-oops. Then he played well at the Nike Hoop Summit. And now people are saying, is this a, a top 30 guy? I have him in the 40s right now. It's going to take time. It's going to take development. I don't think he can rush it. But with the mystery and with the intrigue, and I think that's part of Shaden Sharp's thing, and, and we'll look back in a few years and say, whether, whether Shane Sharp's good or bad, he played this thing, and, and Kentucky fans get really mad. He played this thing right because we don't even know yeah. who he is, and we all got off here saying, like, should he go to Sacramento at four? It's like, what? But, like, that's a possibility. Like, he, yeah. he could go fourth. It, that yeah. would, like, really, really scare me. And I think it would scare you guys as Oklahoma City fans. If somehow you're four and you're talking yourself into Shane Sharp, the same things happen with people at, like, 20 to 40 about Leonard Miller. Yeah. Uh one more question, then we'll let you go. No, I'm good. We're we're up. Let's do another part of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who do you who do you think is going to be the best player? Like when it's all said and done, we're six or seven years down the road. Who do you think is going to be the best player from this class? Chet Holmgren. That's why I have him first. I, I, with okay. six or seven years of an actual weight room and uh, diet and training and reps, he he's going to be the guy. Uh, I was so high on, and I think this draft is better than people do give credit for. I really like Keegan Murray. I think he's, he might not be a superstar, but he's going to be really, really solid. He's the Franz Wagner for me of this draft where Mm -hmm. people overthink it. And well, is he fast enough? Does he shoot it quite well? He's going to be really good. Johnny Davis have been high on all year. I don't know how he fails. Malachi Branham, I think in a few years, we look back. And Jaden Ivey could be a superstar. I, I, I'm i not getting off that hill either. Uh, just has too much to his game, has added too much the last year or two. And just the the speed, the creation, the passing, the improved shooting, the mid-range gets there. He's going to be a really good pro too. Matt, thanks so much for coming on the show. You can follow Matt on Twitter at Matt underscore Penny. That's P-E-N-N-I-E. And you can listen to him on the Game Theory podcast that shows out now. You can also watch it on YouTube if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, Matt, thanks so much, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Congrats again. Thanks so much for listening to this lottery edition of the Saturday Slam and Jam. Be sure to go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get The Athletic for $1 a month for six months. And also leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll read those reviews right here on the show. Enjoy the rest of your week and enjoy the basketball. We will talk to you guys again next week.